Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The Last Factor Podcast. What is up, lacrosse fans? You're watching another episode of the Lax Factor Podcast. I am your host, Ted Hoost, and uh, we're back. We had a, another hiatus, mostly just because there was nothing to really talk about. Uh, I also had a second bout with Lyme disease here recently, so I'm back on antibiotics for that. So that was pretty dope. Uh, no no uh, dramatic uh, Lyme episode of, of uh, 2020 uh, like we had last year. Maybe it was the Lyme episode of 2019. I can't remember now even when it happened. But anyway, we're back today. We're going to talk about a bunch of news, uh, including uh, Cormier going back to UVA. We're going to talk about some things that we saw on lacrosse Twitter, lacrosse Instagram. I am going to declare shenanigans on my buddy Tanner from Lacrosse Bucket, again in a new segment that we have called Declaring Shenanigans. And then we got some upstate news for you, and then an Ask Me Anything at the end of the episode. Before I get into it, as always, just be sure to like this video. Just hit the like button. You can subscribe. You can hit the uh, the little bell icon to get notifications when we put out new videos. But really, if you just want to help us, share the video, like the video, um, and uh, just be sure to go to laxfactor.com. If you want to support the channel beyond that, you can get swag, hats, t-shirts, all sorts of other stuff, coffee mugs. We have it all. So let's get into it now. Uh, just kind of ripping through the news. One of the big things that was happening here is, uh, Cor- uh, I think it was probably the last episode we had announced that uh, Cormier was uh, had entered the transfer portal and was considering ditching UVA. And at the time, Lars Tiffany was hoping hoping that he'd you know withdraw his name and then he would stay. And that turned out to be uh, exactly what he did. So the question becomes: If why would he have considered transferring? Was he looking for a better situation? One of the theories you always see when you have a highly touted attackman that ends up, you know, looking like he may play midfield through his career is maybe he was looking for a spot to land where he could play attack. So we end up kind of asking ourselves: What's the attack situation uh, at UVA look like for 2021 without Kraus? Because obviously Moore and Laviano are both back. Kraus played a year in the MLL already. So I think that more than likely, the third attackman, the guy that you're going to end up seeing starting, uh, at least at the beginning of the season on that attack line with Moore and Laviano, is going to end up being Bertrand. I think Charlie Bertrand will probably get time at that third attack spot. It, it just fits too well. You have Moore, uh, who's a righty. You have Laviano, who's an off-ball righty. And it would make sense that you would put a, a sick lefty over on that left spot, uh, especially one that's tallied 274 points. I think it was 274, definitely 250-plus over his career at uh, Merrimack. So Bertrand would fit right in, I think, with uh, the UVA guys there. I think that you have your Dodger and more. You have your off-ball guy in Laviano, and then you have kind of a bull Dodger, another you know goal-scoring threat in, in Bertrand. Don't forget... We have the uh, Connor Schellenberger also, former number one recruit, redshirted in 2020. I felt it was odd that he redshirted, but when you looked at the roster and how deep they were, it did kind of make sense, I suppose. So to see Schellenberger redshirt and in a, in a season that he technically didn't need to redshirt, there was a great article, I think it was on UVA's website, forget who it was by, 
that I just read where it talked about how he had definitely it had crossed his mind that he redshirted in a season that he could have got a, a free six games and I think UVA was four and two when COVID struck and uh, ended the season. So there's another guy that is probably in the mix for uh, that third attack spot in Schellenberger and Cormier as well. So UVA has lots of options and uh, at the midfield, they'll be deep as well. So that's good news for UVA that he's coming back and that they land the grad transfer in Bertrand. Just, you just get a vet that you can put at any, in any place in the field. He can play mid, he can play attack. And then you got guys like Schellenberger who now have four years of eligibility left to rock. I also, in the news, we got to see that the, uh, I guess the six uh, versus six format was approved by whatever world organization and within lacrosse has to approve it. And I did watch a little bit of a cut that I think I saw on Instagram, may have been on, on Facebook of uh, girls playing. And I'm not sure who it was. I'm not sure if it was like the, the U.S. team playing or whatnot, but I did see a the girls version of six on six, which I think is very similar to how the guys version would roll as well. And it brings back a lot of memories, a lot of box memories. All, all, most of us lacrosse players, especially us lacrosse players that have played up in the you know north where it gets cold in the winter, has have moved our game indoors, not on full fields, but on indoor you know into indoor soccer facilities where we've played box. Some some of them even hockey facilities with just uh, concrete, you know, just the cement down. Um, so all of us have played a little bit of box, and uh, it's really a lot like that in the sense that you know you're just going up and down the field. Goal scored, goalie grabs it out of the net. We're going back up the field the other way. I am not a big fan. I will tolerate it for international lacrosse, for Olympic Olympic lacrosse, and maybe we end up tolerating a little bit more of this uh, during COVID. But I don't think so. I think we're going to get back to normal here, especially with the good news about the vaccines and all that crap. So I think we'll get back to normal sooner than later. And I think we're going to get back to just seeing, you know, savage ten on ten lacrosse, which is what we all want to see. But that 6v6 format was not even, you know, I'm not a big girls lacrosse fan. I just don't, it's a different game to me. Uh, but watching that for a little bit, that wasn't bad. Uh, and I could see the guys playing it that way, and I could see that kind of working. Uh, and it would be interesting to see if uh, the NLL ends up kind of adopting, you know, if we kind of shift a little bit and change a little bit of the box game. But the, the kicker being, I guess you don't need to. That was stupid. Nick said I even said that about the box game. Um, because box is box, and th there isn't room to add a, a sixth person uh, to that format. Uh, another little bit more news, uh, new NLL team in Fort Worth, the Panzer, Pan Panzer, the Panther City Lacrosse Club. And one of my questions was, all right, they're the Pan Panther City Lacrosse Club. What's that make them? Are they the Panthers? Because you're the Panther City. Are they the, the Panther Cityans or the Panther Cities? I mean, what's the, the mascot name if your team name is the Panther City Lacrosse Club? I'm guessing, to, to not be a dick about it, that it's probably just the Panthers. But uh, their co their colors, I thought, were cool because their colors weren't like purple and black or purple and gray or even purple and gold, which are all really dope color options. Their colors are purple and red. So I thought that was kind of sick, and that would look really sick on an NLL jersey with the really elaborate, decked-out, more hockey-style jerseys. So that'll be cool. New, new NLL team in Fort Worth. So uh, we'll see how that goes. Now, one of the new things that we're going to do here is we're going to kind of peep Twitter and Insta for news stories. So uh, from lacrosse Twitter, and this one's coming from Uncle Ricky Beast, a.k.a. Rick Beardsley, a.k.a. A, one of the most savage defenders to ever play the game, both from a defensive standpoint, he was mean as shit. 
Uh, he beat on people, but from an offensive standpoint, getting the ball, getting the ball up in transition and sticking BTBs like it's nobody's business. Uncle Ricky Beast was, in fact, a beast. Uh, although he is not my uncle, I will call him Uncle Ricky uh, moving forward here now as we go. But uh, he posted on Twitter uh, the other day, and he's a great follow. If you don't follow him on Twitter or on Instagram, really on Instagram, you should follow him too. Give this guy a follow at Uncle Ricky Beast on Twitter. I, I'm not sure what it is on Instagram. Maybe the same. Uh, just look up Rick Beardsley, R-I-C Beardsley on Instagram. But uh, he reposted something from High Point Lacrosse, and it, the, the caption from High Point was, Life comes at you fast. And uh, what it is, is everybody standing in the circle around the middle of the field, and they roll a ground ball out, four dudes attack, and you have the, the, team, the kids broke up in teams. So one, ha one team is on one side of the field, the other is filling up the other side of the field. And I'm showing this. Is if, you're, if you're watching and not just listening, you're actually seeing it as it plays out. And they roll a ball in, four dudes, two from each team, go into the middle. They beat on each other. They try to pick up the ground ball. And my favorite part, if the ball gets too close to the edge where the other players are, they start jacking dudes up. And, I mean, they, they didn't beat them up, but they roughed them up a little bit. One of the uh, white uh, guys wearing the white pennies got over a little bit into the blue side, and the blue guys, uh, purple, high, I guess that's their high point. They're probably purple or black or whatever. Um, just start jacking them up, giving them the business a little bit to the point where they just hold them up, take them right out of the mix, and, uh, the, and then the next group ends up going. So that was a sweet drill that I think any team could should do. It could kind of be one of those great drills that you do at the beginning of practice to get people f hyped. You could do it at the end of practice to make sure that you finish strong. Great tool, though. I think it's a great team thing, great camaraderie team, and it looks like a lot of fun. I, as I'm looking down here, I see Sean Morris, uh, Sean Morris, 25. Ring of Fire is what he calls it. Uh, I guess a lot of team people said that they use that in uh, uh, Mike Roostein here. You're commenting on Uncle, Uncle Ricky's post here. He says that they used to do it in hockey or a variation of it. Um, but yeah, looks like it's called the Ring of Fire by a lot of people. Terror Dome, uh, Alexis Brandolini calls it. Uh, Pressure Cooker, Justin Tuma calls it. Circle of Death, all of them great names, but it's a great drill. So check that out here on Twitter. But uh, as, as like I said, make sure you follow at Uncle Ricky Beast on Twitter as well. And then another one, uh, we got this. Uh, ooh, that one did not link up for me. So I'm going to have to copy this stupid link here to get here. Let's see. There we go. Oh, come on, Link. Okay. So we got this other thing. And, and I've been following this guy for a while now, and I've been watching the – and I don't know the context of this. I don't know who the hell this guy is, but he ends up doing these ridiculous stick tricks. I got to hit mute on this. Oh. Man, is that going to get me shut down here? That's probably enough to get me shut down just playing a little snippet of music here. But anyway, he does these sick stick tricks. I don't know how he does it. I don't know how much time he has to spend on the wall before he gets into it and 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 knocks these out. I don't know how like it's just crazy though to watch this. So I know this is the new thing. My era of lacrosse, the real only stick trick that you did was the, you know, clapping the ball on the ground. You know, where you just kind of take your stick and then whack it on the one side and flip your stick and, and the ball ends up in it. That was about as cool as we got when we were in school. We, you know, we had wall ball, but, you know, stick tricks were not done in my day, at least not by anybody that I knew. So to watch this whole kind of thing take off where you have dudes that aren't even really all that great at lacrosse that are busting ridiculous uh, stick tricks now and, and trying to like do the whole stick trick challenge uh, since COVID started and everything like that. But check this guy out. Lock knots 
underscore monster on Instagram. Um, and yeah, he's, he's pretty sick, man. It's pretty crazy what he does with his stick. Now let's get back into all this other crap here. Next segment, declaring shenanigans every week, uh, or every week that we end up doing a show, at least until the season gets rolling, we're going to call out an article, a writer uh, or an article and just declare shenanigans on the writer for, for their take. And I did, we didn't call it declaring shenanigans, but in the last episode I had called uh, my buddy Tanner out. Uh, from lacrossebucket.com on uh, for one of the headlines that he had written. And uh, I think that he hit me up privately, I forget, and he said that he laughed and just said he didn't see it at first, but he, he didn't disagree that it was a hot, that I thought it was a hot take. Well, this week's, the title of the article was Yale Primed for a Third Championship Weekend Run. And I declare shenanigans on that take simply because Yale is, lost a lot when they lost Kotler and when they lost, um, why am I drawing a blank on um, their uh, moral, Jackson Morrill? They lost a lot with those two guys and they didn't, and then they lost all their seniors on top of it. And they, it, it's just, man, every other team in the country that isn't in the Ivy pretty much ended up gaining talent. I, don't, I wouldn't say they gained talent, but almost every other team in the country uh, retained more talent than they would have lost otherwise without COVID. So all these other teams are kind of staying where they were, maybe even getting a little better, uh, depending, especially like when you're looking at the the ACC, those teams actually got better uh, through COVID. Uh, the Ivy did not. No, There is not an Ivy team in the country that got better because of COVID, except for, I would say, Cornell. I think every other Ivy League team has suffered badly. Yale, probably more than anyone, with losing Morrill, who's a 100-point scorer, Twarton finalist. Kotler, who's an incredible midfielder, can do can score goals, can create, can dodge, can feed. Just a, a, would have been a huge veteran presence on that Yale team that really couldn't afford to lose any more midfielders. Uh, Yale is going to be thin at the midfield. Now, this is not to say that they aren't ready to reload, but Yale is not Maryland uh, at this stage. Yale is not the new Virginia at this stage where they've been around kicking ass long enough for us to fully expect for them to be able to just rinse and repeat even where they lose some some key guys and are facing some adversity now. Uh, Yale has to prove that they can do that. There hasn't been an Ivy League team since Princeton that proved that they could dominate for, for the long haul. And I fully expect that Cornell's going to pick up because Cornell, they keep teat. So they're the only Ivy League team, that, or maybe not the only Ivy League team, but that's the big name in the Ivy right there that stayed put and is getting to play out that super senior year. So I think Cornell piggy hops Yale in the Ivy. I don't think Yale is truly primed for a top four finish, for a final four finish, albeit I wouldn't be surprised. As I sit here and I say that I declare shenanigans on Tanner, Yale could end up in the final four again. They have a lot of pieces uh, that, that could make that team great. So I think Yale's going to be good. I think Yale's going to be a top 20 team. I'm just not thinking Yale is one of those teams that I would say, hey, these guys are primed and very likely to make it to the uh, to Memorial Day weekend to the Final Four. I think that they could. I just don't think they're primed for that, and I don't even think they're necessarily the best team in the Ivy. Albeit, what have you done for me lately? And lately, Yale's been pretty nasty. So until, until Cornell or somebody else can take that league back from Yale, it's Yale's league to lose, I would agree. But I think that Cornell 
is going to look pretty tough here this year. So that's my declaring shenanigans. And uh, But I will say this also. Tanner also wrote a piece called Villanova is the Big East's Dark Horse again. I totally agree with that. Villanova has been kind of a weird team for a while where they kind of upset somebody early in the year and then disappoint by the end of the year. And I think that Villanova, once again, is going to be a team that, that could make some noise that has a very solid roster throughout. And uh, I believe they could potentially uh, be the Dark Horse in the Big East. Another segment here. Another news segment. We're going to start talking more often about upstate lacrosse news as the, as the season approaches, we'll branch these off into their own shows. So we're going to do an upstate New York podcast. We're going to do a section four podcast, and then we're going to do just this weekly show here. So we're going to try to branch off into three shows per week. One of them covering D1 college men's, another one covering just upstate in general, and then another one covering specifically high school lacrosse in Section 4. Uh, so the upstate news here, uh, and I'm talking about this because I saw that um, a couple other people talking about Dan Whitmer, uh, former Oswego State head coach of many moons. He actually was the head coach at Oswego State when I played as a freshman at CUCA. Uh, there was a, this, this sweet picture that I did not buy when I was in school of me running up the sideline, decked out in my green uniform, a little bit muddy. It was cold. We're playing at Oswego. Oswego's number 20 in the country. I got the ball in my stick. I'm running up the the sideline uh, that the team, both benches were on. I got my stick in my right hand, and i am got my left arm up, and I'm booking it down the field with an all-American long pole on me, and, and we're both in view what you didn't and I just look it looked gangster by I mean it's probably the only picture I've ever seen of myself on the lacrosse field in action because back in those days once again you didn't have people with cameras running around like crazy but I look totally gangster what people wouldn't have known like if this was on my wall like right here right now or something like that what you wouldn't have seen in that picture because it was just a moment in time was the half a second after that picture was snapped said all-american poll that was defending me threw a rap check on me, did not yard sailed me, but almost yard sailed me, and then picked up the ball, ran back the other way, fast break. I don't think it turned into a goal or anything crazy like that, but I definitely got stripped moments after one of the sweetest pictures in my life that was ever taken me was was taken. Anyway, moral of the story, Dan Whitmer, he has a, a, a series of pieces, like 45 or so blog posts uh, chronicling being a dad in upstate New York and road tripping, traveling around upstate and northeast with his kids as they played lacrosse through uh, youth, high school, college. And I'm not sure if this was new. I think it was one of the newer ones. I'm not sure if this was recently new. But anyway, he talked about, A, the his favorite fields in upstate New York, the fa his favorite facilities to watch coach play lacrosse in upstate New York. And a lot of the venues were nostalgic to him as the head coach at Oswego state. So we're, we end up with some court uh, Cortland worked in. We end up with um, Ithaca college's field worked in and not their new field, but their old field, but his top two, I totally agreed on. And I've said this for a long time. I've even talked about this on the show before top two, Number two is the Dome. A lot of people would have expected for the Dome to probably be his number one because the Dome is a world-famous facility, and in the world of lacrosse, the Dome means even more. So he picked the Dome as number two, and I would agree with him. Granted, the Dome is a sweet place to watch a lacrosse game. If you've never watched a lacrosse game in the Dome, you should. The Dome is not what it used to be. When I was a kid and you went to the Dome to watch lacrosse games, they would regularly fill that joint up with 10, 15. There were games that we went to where I'm pretty sure there was 15 to 20,000 people, like the old school UVA matchups, Hopkins matchups. Um, Princeton would come to town. So uh, maybe Princeton didn't come to town. I don't know that they played them in the regular season. 
now as I think about it. But anyway, uh, Hopkins definitely did. I saw UVA in there, like where they literally used to open up the upper deck. Even in my young, like in the late 90s, they were still opening up the upper deck at times for a spillover. So I watched a couple of games from the upper deck up there. Uh, the Dome was number two. I agree. Number one on his list, Cornell's Chokoff Field. I've said it many times. A, the, it's, it's got that Coliseum Roman architecture look where you come in and you've got the sweet backdrop. The, the, the entrance of the stadium looks like something out of ancient Rome. That's awesome. You get inside and it doesn't change much. You got like stone everything with now the metal bleachers on it. But I mean, the whole place just looks incredible when you're on the inside. What I really always talked about was as you're watching these night games at this facility and the sun would set across the field, across the bleachers, the sun would set just one of the coolest views that you would ever see. You would see the lake in the background, the sun setting, and then a beautiful lacrosse game going on in front of you to match the beautiful scenery. So not only do they play high quality lacrosse up there in Cornell, but that field is incredible. The facility is incredible. And just kind of the backdrop, the whole ambiance of it is awesome. So I agreed with Whitmer on that one. He also talked about the worst fields in lacrosse. And I don't remember if this was his number one worst field. I think he called the number one worst field Oneonta State's field because they never got a win there. Um, I When I was in college as a freshman, when we played Oneonta State, we played him at home and we got it. We lost to him there. Uh, John Pufke was the, the goaltender, Section 4 guy, nasty, and uh, they beat us. He started as a freshman. I was a second-line midfielder as a freshman, so we got to do a little bit of battle there. Uh, let's see here. Oh, yeah, Alfred Yu. He talked about how his least favorite field in upstate New York or one of his least favorite fields in upstate New York was Alfred Yu's field, and I agree. The turf was terrible. The turf wasn't level. It sat down in this weird place. The locker rooms, the last time I was there, were terrible. Now, they've redone this whole thing, so I don't believe this facility would meet this, would you know, kind of fall into this now. It, it used to be one of the worst facilities, and it wasn't the worst turf field ever. There were some worse places. Uh, I know uh, – uh, I actually know Hartwick had a pretty cool facility up there on the field. It was weird and and how it was how it was set up and everything like that. But um, yeah, there was some turf fields out there that I've played on over the years where they were a little bit sandy in the old days. Alfred Hughes was kind of that type of old turf field, astro turf as you would call it before they refinished the surface. So that was brutal, and I did agree with him on that. That Alfred U was the worst field. So that that's one of the questions I posed to you guys. Uh, anyone uh, across the country that's played, what are your favorite facilities? What are the worst facilities you've ever played in? You can comment down below if you wanted to chime in and join in on that discussion. But be sure to check out Just lacrosse.com all devoted to upstate lacrosse news and i'm talking like all news in upstate new york uh, uh high school lacrosse youth lacrosse uh club lacrosse college lacrosse all levels they cover everything that is upstate new york lacrosse so it's a great website great resource and now last segment of the day ask me anything and we've talked about this numerous times but i i want to i want to kind of do a a final segment uh, on what I'm hoping this is. So the, the question posed to me once again, and it's, it's been posed to me by a lot of people was what's the 2021 season going to look like. So I think that because one of the things that it's going to look like here is Ivy league is not starting until March. Now the Ivy league always starts a little bit late. I had the pleasure of going and watching the Yale Syracuse scrimmage last year 
And I believe that's kind of an annual thing they do now. They won't be doing it this year. But uh, they always scrimmage in February, and it's typically Syracuse's last outing before they actually have their first game a week later. And it's typically Yale's first time on a field together where everybody can practice with the coaches and everything. I know last year I believe they maybe had one or two practices together, maybe a week worth of practice prior to that scrimmage because the Ivy League can't start official team practices until later than everyone else. So they've always dealt with that. I believe what's going to happen now is that season's going to get bumped back another two or three weeks, maybe even a full month because they're saying they can't start until either like the second week in March, maybe even later. So that's one thing that it's going to look like. It's going to look a little different because the Ivy is going to get a late start. Who knows what that means, but I am not a big fan that the Ivy continues to kind of give the middle finger to their athletes. They canceled their winter sports, so winter sports are totally done. Uh, I'm not saying I blame them, but I'm, you know, the Ivy, if you're right now, if you're an athlete that was considering going to an Ivy League school, you are 100% reconsidering that decision if the athletic side of it was really important to you. Uh, if it wasn't, then nobody cares. Uh, another thing that's going to change 2021, no Hampton. Hampton, uh, Chaz Woodson was about to get rolling as the uh, new head coach at Hampton. And no, not this year. They have just canceled all of their spring athletics for 2021. So there will be no Hampton. They're going to have to reconvene and get rolling in 2022. So that's another thing. I think we're going to have a season, though. I, think, I don't think this will be the end of teams canceling their spring sports seasons. I think we will see a little bit more of that depending on the school, depending on the administration and depending on what schools end up with outbreaks and go to remote learning through the rest of the spring, which I believe is what happened with Hampton. They announced they're not having kids come onto campus at all. Boom. We have no spring sports now. So I think we might see other teams do that. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see what happens as these schedules start rolling out. But in terms of what the season's going to look like, I think it's going to look a lot like a regular lacrosse season with just some hurdles and things that we have to get used to. I think you're going to see maybe teams play a few less games. I think it'll be a lot more focused on conference games. Um, I think we're going to still see a few more teams possibly fold, maybe more than a few. So that is definitely going to happen. I just hope we don't see any more conferences fold uh, in total. As we've seen with the, as we saw, you know, with the Ivy being the first one to do it last year, and then that people followed suit. Once conferences conferences start folding, then it's like, ah, shit. You know, those teams are probably done, or maybe they can play some unimportant games. I don't know. So I don't know a hundred percent what the season's going to look like. Except I'm starting to feel more and more confident every day that goes by that we are in fact going to have a season and that we should get a full season in outside of maybe some COVID casualties. Will we have a couple of games canceled, rescheduled due to COVID? I think so, and I think that's a good reason that maybe teams should try not to play quite as many games. If you're a Duke and you normally get 10 games in within the first month of lacrosse just about, or a UVA does the same thing, maybe they don't do that now. Maybe they spread things out a little bit. It leaves a little bit more room for error. You lose, you, you have a game canceled. Uh, you can then you have a lot more room to reschedule it. Or, you know, and, and that's the other beautiful thing about lacrosse, too is lacrosse teams are used to playing up to two games a week. Syracuse and some of the bigger teams, uh, not bigger teams, I won't say, but Syracuse, teams like Syracuse Hopkins, they tend to play that kind of, hey, we're primarily just going to play a game a week through the season. And uh, and they really just focus all week on prepping for that game. Uh, so I think you might see a lot more teams do that because you get a game canceled, you can easily double up, triple up if you had to, to make games up. So I don't think that'll be a problem. I think that you might not see as many games get totally just nixed uh, and I think you'll see most games that do get nixed, maybe because of COVID concerns or COVID issues. I think you'll you'll see them get made up before the end of the season, um, unless maybe they're a non-conference game, at which point they could just nix it totally. So we'll see how that goes. But that's 
that's what's going on right now. Not a whole lot of news still, uh, but we are slowly but surely trying to build up and, and come up with a series of formats that we can just continue to pump content out. I know I keep making bold promises at the end of every show that, hey, this is the plan. This is what we're going to do. But uh, shit changes, obviously. Work gets in the way. Uh, we're, we're dealing with an unprecedented lack of quality lacrosse news because, you know, normally we'd be kind of recapping fall ball. There might even be a couple of fall ball tournaments that were just kicking off here in the first week of November. And we have none of that, you know, so we have a bunch of closed practices, couple of press conferences, virtually no schedules. So still a lack of news, but we're trying to, to fudge through it until we have some good shit to talk about here. So that is it. Uh, we'll be back next week uh, and, and try to kind of just follow this segment. Even if there's not a whole lot to talk about, we'll at least do some recaps and things like that. But now that we're in November and, you know, the season and the kids getting back to school in January is right around the corner, we'll start trying to prognosticate uh, where there's a lack of news. Maybe we talk about some high school kids, but the goal will be to get back into the weekly schedule uh, so you guys can see my beautiful face or hear my beautiful voice uh weekly again i don't want you guys going through withdrawal and and suffering i got to make sure that i'm giving you guys something to to feast on during covid here i kid i kid so as always be sure to like subscribe hit the notification bell uh you can also share this video you can go to laxfactor.com uh all our videos and things are posted there as well uh so that's kind of a complete archive of everything we've put up over time and uh you can get swag and things like that as well so thank you very much for watching thank you very much for listening and as always hoost is out